Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Deniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do, so we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. I'm scared to close my eyes. I see dead people. I believe you have my stapler. Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? This is not just a couch. It's just a couch! You take the red pill, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. You leave the light on after bedtime. I always thought it would be better to be a fake somebody than a real nobody. Are we going to air it? Of course not. But, you know, I, I sense that we're we're going to have a lot of uh, you and me just, like, talking about depressing stuff uh, on this podcast, and, and I'm really worried about that. <laughs> Are you saying, like, every week or in this, this particular tonight, this discussion on these this film? Oh, uh, no, I don't, um, I don't think my discussion on message in a bottle will be depressing. I mean, maybe yours will. Um, you know, I would, so, I mean, I think that movies like this get a really rough, uh, break in that people will come to them with kind of a chip on their shoulder and saying, Oh, a romantic drama adapted from a Nicholas Sparks novel, whatever. Um, this is definitely not for me. I'm just going to, you know, completely dismiss it, uh, you know, outright and just use it as something to, to laugh at. And, and then at the same time, it's like, well, if the movie succeeds, you know, you've already kind of closed your heart off to it already. So you, you know, you're kind of like setting up the movie to fail. Um, and all that being said, this is not like one of those cases where, um, where I found something to really love about Message in a Bottle where other people didn't. Um, I think back to a movie from 2016 that I liked a lot that didn't get uh, very good press, uh, The Light Between Oceans, which is a really successful uh, romantic uh, drama that, that, that does pull your heart and uh, make you want to see the, these relationships between these characters work out. And Message in a Bottle is kind of the opposite. And, and it's not, you know, there, there's a ton of, of talent here in this movie. Uh, a lot of people who did a lot of good work before this movie and a lot of good work after this movie. And, um, so it's kind of, it's kind of surprising that it's, that it's as big as a dud, uh, uh, you know, as it is. Dear Catherine, forgive me for being so angry when you left. I feel I've been lost. No bearings, no compass. You were my true north. Oh, don't you think it's brave to love like that in this world? I think we should trace these letters. This letter was probably typed within the last five years. So he's out there. 
she in bad shape? No. Neglected. Underappreciated. I know how she feels. Doubt it. You want to step aboard? Bucks to see you grab onto that girl and figure it out as you go along. It's not your business. Make a fist. Now you hit me. My son is not my business. Choose between yesterday and tomorrow. I'm not familiar with this uh, director, a uh, Mexican filmmaker uh, who had done, he's done a couple things I'd seen, like uh, When a Man Loves a Woman from 94 uh, with Meg Ryan, Annie Garcia. And Angel Eyes with Jennifer Lopez, but he's kind of disappeared um, since, let's see, 2004, I believe, was his last um, feature. Uh, yeah, okay, to your point, Nicholas Sparks, uh, Kevin Costner, Robin Wright Penn uh, coming out uh, 99 when I was a teenager in high school. Uh, this was a pretty easy pass for me, and... Uh, I had never really heard anything else about it. I guess it has the distinction of being the first Nicholas Sparks uh, feature adaptation, um, done probably far more successfully in uh, pop culture since with The Notebook. Yeah, uh, I like what you said. I, I like uh, romantic dramas and uh, bringing up The Light Between Oceans. I remember when that came out that there was, I don't know if it was the director or his wife, but there was a, an interview given where they were sort of throwing their hands up saying uh, this this is not the top material critics will go to bat for anymore this is not it's by no means hip uh, it's not cool it's not edgy in any, any way so uh it doesn't doesn't have the the adult audience that needs to sort of put the word out for it all that being said message in a bottle uh certainly not that and i think the th- Biggest thing I come away from it is uh, if you're a Nicholas Sparks fan, there's some sort of weird aphrodisiac with death and tragedy that is what gets the the fires lit for for new romance. And the film is my, my biggest takeaway from it is it's afraid to let Costner and Penn um, have any sort of heat here, mm-hmm. have any sort of sexual chemistry. It was it's weird. Uh, it, it's very. It's like it's of a different era entirely, um, and that there's there's always going to be this distance between the two. Uh, and even as the film wraps up, uh, I was watching it with my wife, who had also never seen it, and she, you know, her comment was, "So they're just going to keep them apart forever. That's just <laughs> they're they're never meant to to get together. They just sort of talk around uh, moving forward and and having uh, some sort of romantic life together. Uh, I don't really know." Who this is for? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of surprised this was uh, this was I guess ever a successful uh, novel because it is uh, it's it's sluggish and it's hard to get through. And uh, Paul Newman tries his damnedest to to steal the show, mm-hmm. but it is so um, knowing when he comes in to steal a scene that it's almost like he's in a different movie entirely. Like they just sort of turn point the camera at him and just say, "Just do whatever you want." Uh, but yeah, anytime it's it's Costner and uh, Robin that, Wright Penn, it's just it is dead in the water for me as far as I have, I have no rooting interest in seeing these two being together. 
I mean, that's really the best you could you could expect Newman to to really do, and that's really the best you could expect any actor to do is is just kind of be director proof and to just come on you know uh, on the day and just be able to do all sorts of amazing, uh, incredible things that maybe they haven't thought about at all. And, and yeah, I mean, Newman is the best thing about this movie. I really think I think they should have just completely rewrote the whole thing. They should have made it where there was some weird contrived ending where uh, where it's Newman character who wrote the wrote the third letter or the, or whatever or something like that um because i feel like you could almost have a movie that works if, if that was the case what what's weird going back to you know looking back in this movie is that the scenes where uh costner and robin wright are like you know gr- growing closer to each other they're like they're like talking about banal stupid shit my mom hated it here she took me away to virginia when i was 10 but I came back when I was 16 and never left. I missed it, you know, I missed the smell of it, working working on the water. Miss my dad, the quiet, the wind. Wind? You call that wind? The wind in Chicago in the wintertime. You have to walk with your back to it, it cuts your face. It takes your breath away. <laughs> well, we got the oldest oak tree in both Carolinas. Like they're talking about the weather and the wind and, and it's just like like the kind of conversation, you know, you would have with a with an Uber driver. Um, <laughs> you know, like it's just so bizarre. Like like you, you know, they want us to you know think that this is going to be some sort of love that's going to last throughout time or whatever uh and it's so important to these two people, but when they you know, when they actually talk to each other it's just, you know, oh yeah, the wind is really really rustling outside and blah blah blah. There, there's one really quick scene where, like, after they, they had presumably fucked or whatever, um, that they're, they're like playing with the light or something. And it seems like it was improvised. And, and it's like, I, I got really excited because I was like, oh, hey, 30 seconds of these people acting like human beings with each other. Uh, you know, maybe this is going to develop into something, but that happens right before the big melodramatic reveal of, you know, that happens in the middle, um, you know, with, with all these letters that, that she, she has been hiding from him, the, that that's the real reason why they've gotten together in the first place. Um, you know, and then, and then that horrible scene, uh, of them arguing about that is, is so bad uh, like the, the dialogue is, is so stale between them and, and, and so over the top. And there's so much rain coming down on them in that scene. Like it doesn't, <laughs> it is a ridiculous amount of rain to be coming down on anyone at any time. Why did you do this? Why? Were you curious? Goddamn no, research. because I'm falling in love with you. First in the letters and then when I met you. And I'm sorry, I was afraid. I was afraid if I told you that I would push you away, just like I'm doing now. Wait, no matter what you think of me, and no matter what happens now, I want you to know how much I care for you. And it shouldn't matter what brought us together, Karen. Um, and I mean, if that much rain is coming down on you, you don't continue fighting with your girlfriend. You say, you know what? This is ridiculous. Let's let's go inside. Um, <laughs> but they don't do that. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> it should have been the wind. You know, she mentions the wind will cut you. It should have been that. They, they they can't really hear each other. They can't like stand and face each other. They're like facing down the street. That that should have been. They could have been a humorous moment uh, since that was. Uh, you're right. The characters are obsessed with weather and mention it. I. 
I also feel like, uh, you know, it's inevitable that the, the letters are going to come up. Uh, I, you know, these people are so awkward together initially. Mm-hmm. I feel like you need to mention it not only at the beginning, just out of, you know, politeness sake and just being honest about your reasoning for, for being there. But I, I would probably break if I'm the Teresa character played by Robin Wright. I think I would break and just say, okay, here's why I'm, I've come down to North Carolina. Uh, because what else do you talk about this guy? Like yeah. <laughs> Garrett is played by Kevin Costner. And I know what Costner, I mean, he likes these type of roles. He, you know, he doesn't seem to be a actor that relishes the idea of having a lot of dialogue. He, he likes to be these sort of withdrawn figures, brooding types, uh, which is strange because he's so good. And uh, like JFK, which is, mm. uh, there's just a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff on the page for him to get out. But yeah, I, I would assume it was going to come up much quicker than it did because this guy's giving nothing and offering nothing and i just you know where else do you go and i was shocked that it actually took that long to get to that point um the the use there there are a lot of things that are strange here and it, it's weird coming from an author who as you said is probably not very well respected in literary circles and uh, by film fans but nicholas Sparks he likes to write characters that don't really say much and so I'd, i've never read one of his novels i don't know if there's all this internal debate going on on the page um, but I've seen a few of these films and a lot of the characters just leave things unsaid mm-hmm. and go, even going to this, uh, the, the tragedy that still haunts the Garrett character with his, his dead wife's family. I, I, I have, I really was struggling to see what these people are so heated about as far as the, the paintings and not approving of their relationship. And there's sort of this weird blame about her death that doesn't really seem to make any damn sense. Like there's just a lot of baggage here that I don't know if it's cut out of the novel or, you know, maybe it didn't make any damn sense in the book either, but there's just a lot of melodrama where you would think most people, you know, they, they just wouldn't act this way. They would just, they were just kind of go about their lives. Like they're just making it uh, more of a soap opera, making it harder on themselves than what it should be. I mean, I think it's weird to me that there isn't a real betrayal here with her finding this, you know, letter in a bottle and, you know, publishing it and everything. Like, you, you know, you put a message in a bottle, you throw it out in the ocean, <laughs> it's gone. It's going to, you know, someone's going to pick it up someday and it's theirs. Like, there's no, you didn't copyright it. You didn't send it to the WGA so they could send it back to you and do that cheap thing. Um, it's done. Uh, so I don't really know. Uh, what he's so upset about, um, you know, it, it just, he's just upset that it's been withheld from him or whatever. And that just seems like kind of an idiot, uh, problem to have. Like, like literally, you, you know, you talk for 30 seconds and it's like, okay, I don't like that you did this. I'm going to go my own way and that's it. But instead it becomes the gigantic boulder that keeps them apart and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense and 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 i really i really do like these paul newman scenes i love this little bit with him in the coffee shop where uh where the guy asks him why why is he sitting over there uh why he always sits over in that corner and then he just gets up and grabs all his stuff and, and moves to another spot um i thought you know i thought that was really funny i you know there's a like there's a lot of different directions they probably could have taking this in and you can see what, what someone with the ego of Paul Newman can do when he knows that no one cares, you know, no one's going to tell him not to play that scene (laughs) that way. Uh, And so he just does it and it's great. Um, And so, but you know, I don't know, I guess Penn and Costner, 
well, Rob, Robin Wright and Costner uh, are just like tied down, I guess, because of this stupid script that they felt had to be uh, probably very similar to, to the novel it's based on. Um, you know, you would think that um, when you pick up, when you adapt cheap material that, that no one has any respect for, that you would be able to have a lot more freedom with it because it's meant to be seen by a much bigger audience than, who, than the people who read the book. That seems to be the opposite case with the Nicholas Sparks uh, adaptations. Um, yeah, and I'm going to out you because I, I, you know, you've told me this uh, off this podcast, and I'm going to out total you right confidence, now. Of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I mean, this is the time. This is the time to admit it to the world. Sure. Okay. Um, you're a fan of Safe Haven. I am, uh, yes. Safe Haven is adapted from a Nicholas Sparks novel, mm-hmm. correct? So That's true. what what do you get out of Safe Haven that you don't get here? Because I want to understand that. Uh, I think some of the uh, well, I'll just say, I mean, I guess the, the trashiness is uh, more upfront. It's it's there for uh, my enjoyment. May, maybe I'm enjoying it in the wrong way. I I don't think I am. Uh, I did read a bit of trivia because uh, I, I thought you would bring this up. Uh, and so I was trying to go through and I'm like, how many of these Nicholas Sparks movies have I, have I seen? And I've seen, I guess within the, the last like three that have come out, uh, I swiped that movie pass for, and I read just a bit of trivia, uh, on safe Haven that it is, uh, I think the only, uh, Nicholas Sparks story that has an out and out antagonist. Uh, I guess you, uh-huh. you mentioned the, the boulder of this, this message in a bottle, which doesn't tend to make much sense because if you're writing these love letters and putting them in a bottle and throwing them in the ocean, you would think that when those were revealed that whatever romantic urge caused you to write those letters uh, may spark for this this new love in your life. Like there is going to be some sort of connection there. Uh, Safe Haven, it, it kind of, you know, the obsessed character there is the drunken asshole, uh, the abusive guy. And I think it's it's just flipped because normally in, in a Sparks male figure, uh, it's it's usually the, the woman that is trying to to bring them out like some sort of scared animal, like to to come come uh-huh. over to them and reveal themselves in uh, in that film uh i assume in that book uh it's a guy who's abusive but knows absolutely what he wants and he sort of reveals himself publicly many times at his job uh trying to track this woman down uh he is an open book and all of his flaws are out there on the table uh and i've found that to be greatly entertaining i i liked that there's that there's an actual legitimate threat and that the guy who is probably the most romantic person in the story is the one that nicholas sparks wants us to root against so it's, it's just a strange flip of the normal uh sparks characters in north carolina so yeah and i don't know scenery's good and i you know i, I think a lot of these things like even it's in message in a bottle too like there's there's a certain fantasy to them i understand you're you're putting your 10 bucks out there to to see very pretty expensive locales uh, about characters who are strangely low-key when it comes to their finances. They seem to be written as if they're very middle America, but they're living uh, basically in a version of Martha's Vineyard. Um, so, yeah, I understand the appeal of some of them, but the one that I like the best has the, the drunken asshole 
who cannot be stopped. He's like the T-1000 in the uh, Sparks world. So, yeah, that's why I'm a fan of that one. Yeah, I do, li- I do like that guy with his, with his bottle, bottled water that's full of vodka or whatever. <laughs> like, that has always stuck. That, 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 I, that has been the, the idea in my life that I've said to myself, okay, if I reach that point, I've gone too far. Um, so, so Safe Haven did do that. Um, and I, I do really like this genre, and I do think I'm a person who they could have potentially – uh, you know, uh, marketed this film too, and I and I would have liked it. Um, so I, it feels a little bit uh like there's more going on in terms of like like bad writing and bad directing uh here. I I I will say I think it's really nicely shot. Um, you know, but I don't think that if you're like me and if you're like a big fan, if you're a big fan of like Douglas Sirk melodramas and mm-hmm. you're a big fan of movies like The Light Between Oceans or the one, the only one I can I can think of. That is kind of on the same level as this is the time traveler's wife, which I thought was okay. Like, like I thought it was a fine movie. Um, so if you're more a fan of those, then I would say this isn't going to work for you. I thought of Return to Me, which I think came out yeah. the following year, 2000. That's a good movie uh, too. Which also has, you know, has a, a grieving um, widow or widower situation and. Um, you know, then then you have a reveal at a certain point where there's a there's a connection there between the new love and the old, and I think it's 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 handled with far less gloom and doom. Strangely, even though there is definitely more of a connection there, there's more, you know there would be a, a bigger hump to kind of get over, uh, wrap your head around. Uh, but I always admired that film that our our hero there quickly sort of just is like, why did why would this bother me? Like I, I love this. I loved before and I'm loving again and I'm not going to let that stop me. Actually, this kind of makes it even more romantic and special in a weird way. And uh, uh-huh. that that's the weirdest thing with the, you know, I don't know if anyone really cares about a film that came out Valentine's day weekend, 1999, <laughs> but I wanted to talk with you a little bit about the ending. Like, so I oh, guess yeah. final warning uh, to whoever's listening to this, um, the need to kill Costner, the need to send him <laughs> out to sea to, to save, uh, this this family and and die. Uh, I guess after he's he sort of got it in his head that he's gonna go he's gonna go get Robin Wright and you know he's he's over this message in a bottle of betrayal. Um, I I was I wonder if you're watching the film if you went to see it Valentine's Day weekend was there a turn? Do people actually like these tragedies? Does that make it more romantic? Because it just pisses me off and it pissed my wife off too. So Ben Zook, were you pissed I, off by this death? Yeah, I really, I really don't like the ending here either. And I, but I probably not for the same reason, because I think, you know, these movies are somewhat predictable and you know that there's going to be a tragedy of some sort, um, at the end. I think back to, um, Wuthering Heights from like 1939, like you, there's an air of doom and tragedy over that movie too. And you know that someone at the end isn't going to work. It isn't going to work out so, so well for them. Um, and so with, with this one, what I really don't like about it is I really don't like how they chose to present the sequence, uh, out at sea with him and this other, and this other, um, family, uh, that's sailing and they're caught in the storm. Um, I, like, it's all in slow motion. There's no dialogue. There isn't really an active, like, view of watching it where you're thinking, okay, maybe, maybe he's gonna get away. Maybe there's gonna, maybe he's gonna, um, do this and save them and then it's going to be okay. It's all done with this idea of, okay, we want you to know he's going to be dead at the end of the sequence. 
even if you're if you're just watching the beginning of the sequence. And I really dislike that. And I think it's really stupid because it's like you, you have Kevin Costner out in like a a gigantic water tank uh, of some sort or whatever. And it's like and then you choose to not have any dialogue or any sound or anything really. And, and just this this really kind of boring slow motion sequence of uh of shit happening where you know he's just gonna die at the end and, and I, I just wonder what's what's the point of that wouldn't it have been better to have a sequence that you know was crafted with some suspense and intrigue and and was absorbing for the audience uh but no it's like oh no we just really want you to know that he's going to be dead at the end of this movie the, the entire film seems to hang on whatever idea it presents about a character, uh, about a relationship dynamic, it really like it throws it out there and it just sort of sticks with it. I mean, it is it's uh, it's a fairly long movie for the story that it wants to tell. Uh, it's pretty glacially paced, and I guess it fits the the characters and the lifestyle that uh, Kevin Costner is trying to lead at that point. Uh, he's very focused on uh, making his boats, uh, and it's very slow, methodical work. Mm-hmm. But I. I don't know. It's just a weird mismatch. Like you, you mentioned, uh, I, I think both of us, when we were talking about doing this film, uh, we're both fans of Robin Wright and she's someone she's, she's had an interesting career. Um, and I remember reading in one of William Goldman's books that he, uh, you know, he thought she would be the biggest movie star on the planet after uh, princess bride. And, you know, she's just someone who doesn't, and you know, doesn't appear to have had much interest in attempting to, to climb that particular mountain. And it was fun to watch her, you know, having seen her, I guess, more recently in House of Cards. Like, I feel like she's trying really hard. Uh, there are elements where, especially when she's acting opposite Costner, where she is attempting to turn that charm up to 11. And I think it makes it all the more frustrating to you to see this woman kind of throwing herself at this guy. Uh, and it, maybe that helps the appeal of the Newman character, the father, who basically is there to come around and sort of smack him upside the head and call him an idiot for, for not <laughs> not taking what life is sort of offering him. Uh, but yeah, I found it overall just to be a frustrating experience because the the characters pretty much stay the same. There's very, there's very little change here, and uh, the the film just really takes its time getting there. All I could really take from it that I enjoyed was what you get on a lot of other Sparks movies is that it's beautiful scenery and it's, it's, it's set up perfectly uh, for, for characters to fall in love, but it makes it all the more frustrating when you don't feel anything from them coming off the screen. Yeah. I mean, I think for both Wright and Costner, it's just the material. Like I really don't think that, you know, hardly any actor could really, uh, you know, do anything with this stuff. Uh, and when you were, when you were talking about, about her career, uh, and everything, I just kept thinking of the opening to, to the movie, The Congress, where Javi Keitel deliver, delivers this big monologue to, to Robin Wright saying, you had it all, Robin. You were the, you were the toast <laughs> of Hollywood. You were, you were Buttercup. You were, uh, uh, what's her name from Forrest Gump? Uh, um, Jenny. 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 Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> Yeah, I, I love Robin Wright. I think she's terrific. It never gets any better for me than than her listening to Freebird on the top of that um, balcony in the, at the hotel in Forrest Gump, uh, which is an extremely moving scene, which is really odd because she's not the main character of that movie. Um, and I think it's one of the only scenes that Tom Hanks isn't in. Uh, and yeah, she's had a real good kind of up and down uh, career. Um and um, I don't know. I think Costner has done good stuff after this. He did Open Range, 
um, only a few years after this, which which was really great. Um, and and Newman, you know, he he had Road to Perdition um, after this, and and you know, she's had a whole you know completely different career after this point. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to really say about it except for that. You know, I thought it was it was pretty. Uh, it was even, even in comparison to like something like up close and personal, which is kind of similar, um, you know, a, a romantic drama that takes place with, you know, um, uh, two, with two movie stars and, you, 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 and p- involves people who are in the media or whatever, who are in journalism. Um, you know, that's a, that's a slightly better written movie than, than this. Uh, which doesn't really take any risks, doesn't take any chances. Um, and I don't really even like up close and personal that much, but, but it, 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 like, if you were to, if you were to like, if they, like, if you were to do the thing that CNN does where they track how an audience is feeling about like a political candidate <laughs> and you were to watch message in a bottle and, and up close and personal at the same time, I think up close and personal would be in the green for far longer than, than message in a bottle, which I think falls flat relatively early on. I, I believe that's already being used by Netflix for their algorithms. I think they've 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 sent those those trackers to people's buttons, and uh, because of that, we we get another four picture deal with the Adam Sandler coming down the pike. Um, I don't oh, know. Uh, oh, the brave new world and where it will take <laughs> us. <laughs> um, I, one final question, and I, I I don't know if you've seen it. We didn't talk about this uh, before, but I've never actually sat down to watch the Notebook. I've seen different clips on television scenes. Um, but that seems to be the one that is the most fondly remembered. That was sort of the big, I guess, breakthrough, uh, for this, this little mini genre of Nicholas Sparks movies that usually come out in the, in the spring or around Valentine's day. Um, have you seen that one? Do you, do you have a take on why that one was far more <laughs> successful? I just, I, I, I don't, uh, I just remember, uh, uh, I just remember Mrs. Cassavetti's, uh, Gina Rowland's, um, or no, it was James Garner telling the story to Gina Rollins, and she just magically, you know, doesn't have Alzheimer's for for a bit because of that. Um, and boy, that was weird. Um, I don't, I don't know why that movie was popular. I saw it, and I, I was just like, wow, that's that's going to be a real ter- tough sell for people. And then, and then it became a huge uh, cult classic, not unlike mm-hmm. the movie that we're going to talk about next week on this podcast, um, Office Space. Very, very different uh, audience, but yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> both films did grow in uh, estimation uh, after their theatrical runs. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm far more comfortable probably talking about uh, Office Space, The Message in a Bottle. Um, but uh, I think that'll that'll do it for this one. I don't think we've got any more hot takes on this uh, Valentine's Day classic from 1999. I don't, think, I don't think our takes were initially hot to begin with. <laughs> I don't think anything in this movie is particularly hot. I think it's just very <laughs> lukewarm all around. So well, in that, that I, regard, Caleb Deschanel's photography, I think, is very good. I, that's the guy who also uh, is the father of Zoe Deschanel, um, hmm. and uh, he's always been a very underrated, very good uh, DP. So I will say that about Message in a Bottle. I'm going to make sure to put that in the promotional tweet when we release this episode. That will be our only <laughs> original take on Message in a Bottle. Uh, all right. Yeah. So uh, thanks for, for listening. And uh, we're going to move on to uh, Office Space next week. Presumably something more people uh, will download a podcast for because it is uh, truly a cult classic. And 
if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. Why do you always sit in the same place? What the hell do you care where I sit? Well, I'm curious. You started sitting here, what, about 10, 11 years ago? Well, for Christ's sake. You used to sit over there. Okay. Okay.